You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. Hey guys and gals, this is another Land of Legacy podcast with your hosts Adam Keith and Matt Dye. We sound a little more chipper this week, we can assure you. Uh, it's not 11.30 at night? 11.30 at night after a long day working on the farm, and we are all set for another great podcast, and it's going to be one that's going to have a lot of information, a lot of content, hopefully a lot of helpful hints for you on your property or your hunting property. Maybe you're, you don't even know. You're just hunting that. endeavors as well. Yeah. And even if you're hunting public ground, there's going to be a lot of key points in here that you can use on those conservation areas or national forests, whatever it is you're hunting. But anyway, it is officially Missouri archery season here, and we cannot be more pumped. And honestly, though, uh, I guess as you have gathered, we care a whole lot about habitat and and animal health and... We actually took yesterday afternoon off and didn't hunt, even though it was the second day of season. We decided we wanted to get some more seed on the ground because we had rain coming. And that's what we did. Um, we actually had a great first day. We ran two crews, and I'll let Matt update you on yeah. what they saw. Well, it was it was a, a really good, really good first day. A lot of anticipation. I mean, this is our first deer season for land and legacy and um man it's just it's fun getting out there and um knowing exactly what's out there from our hit list and and Seth's all of his work that he's done on his place um and we're actually we're updating um and kind of providing those updates on our Facebook page and Instagram pages when we're out in the out in the woods and we're hunting and chasing deer um so if you want if you want to look for those Check us out on Facebook and Instagram for those hunting updates, and uh, you'll know when we're out, what we're seeing, what we're doing. But Friday night, the 15th, um, Seth, myself, and his son, Trace, went to the blind. And Seth had prepared planted corn on a big ridgetop food plot. And it's more of a destination food plot, but there is bedding on a south-facing slope very close. Anyhow, a couple days prior, he had gone out and bush hogged some of the corn. And knowing that it was so dry and, and a lot of the vegetation, he had soybeans right there close. Um, acorns hadn't started falling. He had some food plots that were greening up. But just because of it being so dry, that forage was not as palatable. And deer were coming to that corn. And uh, as soon as he mowed that corn down, put up a camera, for three nights he had bucks, does, a hit lister coming in. 
And um, so his plan was to take himself and his son, Trace, and if a young buck presented itself or a younger deer, um, that was a great deer for Trace. He was going to let him have at it. Um, and uh, sure enough, that evening, field started filling up I don't know, 30 minutes before, before dark. We had a couple does coming in and just hitting the corn, crushing the corn that was on the ground there um, from, from bush hogging a couple days prior. And sure enough, I don't know, we were watching them for, for 20 minutes and right behind us, right against the blind, dead downwind was a young buck and he just slipped in, used the wind to his advantage. It was just kind of that good reminder. Um, we were running um, ozone and had treated all our clothes and, and everything. And this buck comes in five yards, stops, checks the, checks the wind, comes right through it, Cross the path we were on, five yards from the blind, walks out 15, 16 yards or so. Presents a great opportunity for for Trace, and he just smokes it. Quartering away, a couple inches back, three ribs back from his back shoulder, blows out the other side. Deer runs 60 yards, piles up dead. It was just one of those perfect, perfect storms because of the dry temperatures and because going in prior to season and bush hogging that corn, they just turned on to it and that was the spot that was the ticket we had the wind and it just worked out perfect but it's just one of those really good reminders not every deer is going to come from that that direction you you think they're not all going to be better right there on the south slope or if they if they were he was smart enough to loop around and, and enter that plot with the wind in his favor or so he thought yeah but it came together boom like that on film it's a great reminder that you can't put everything against them Oh yeah, we've talked about it so much, but I just think of when when we went there yesterday to shoot some more shots to finish up a a video with it. It was like, yeah, I can see why he came that way. Mm-hmm. It makes perfect sense. Most so, certainly. Yeah, I know you guys were jacked up. I know Trace was jacked up. Uh-huh. I was yeah. there for his first turkey hunt or first turkey kill ever, and he was a fired up little man. And I'm sure second buck with a bow, yeah, uh, crossbow. And I'm sure he was he was all sorts of pumped up. I know Seth's going to be getting him back in the stand again soon to try and get him a, a doe with a compound. Mm-hmm. Um, but he was he was so fired up. the The first does that came in, they were twenty yards tops, and you know, for a an eight year old in a ground blind, I level with these deer. He was itching so bad. I don't know how many times that dad can I dad I need to get the crossbow. Dad, I want the crossbow. Dad, dad, I want the crossbow. He was just jacked up. He he wanted. He wanted to shoot a doe so bad, but Seth would just talk to him. Hey, listen, there's a good chance a buck come in, and and uh, he stayed patient and then just delivered a, an absolute perfect shot perfect. on this buck. Boy, it was good. A good well, way to start awesome. the season. Oh, no doubt. You know, I I think Seth and I were talking, and you and Seth talked on other occasions, and we were like, you know, there's a really good chance a hit lister shows up there. He's mm-hmm. been there at night. Um, right there man there's also a couple nice bucks in there trace would love to shoot love and so it was like well why don't you both go why don't you take both 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 bows Mm -hmm. and see which one shows up first or what and and you guys just just go from there yeah and so you you went there and filmed them and uh it was a i was sure excited when i got that text saying you guys had got something down uh unfortunately for chad and i yeah we pulled some cards and on the family farm, we had a hit lister 
Wheeler, big eight-pointer, showing up three of four nights and five out of seven nights, the last seven nights or something like that. He was in, in daylight. That, in like daylight, that. 620, 645, 720, oh. 730. It was like, okay, there's a really good chance. And we actually, you know, it kind of goes against a lot of things, but it's like, you know, we, we hang our sets and we trim our sets and we do all that way back when in, in June, yeah, we July. About and it we're like, okay, let's do this. Let's get this out of the way. But yep. as as always, as life goes, things change. So it was like, oh, gosh, okay, well, let's go in there and see if we can find a tree. And we couldn't find a tree. There was nothing. Mm-hmm. And it's like, okay, time to get the redneck blind. And, you know, we've hunted out of rednecks for a lot of years, but those soft-sided blinds, especially that ghillie blind, you can just – it's already got a great fabric to where it just blends in really well. It's concealed really well. But whenever you take that thing and you push it up into some natural vegetation and you kind of incorporate that with the already 3D-ish look, it just vanishes. It and, always surprises you just what happens to it. Oh, <laughs> and so we took that thing, we stuffed it back in some cedar trees and we blended it in and then we were like, okay, we're all set. Wind was perfect the whole time we were doing that. We got in the blind and saw two armadillos. <laughs> That's it. It was like, okay, I guess, uh, all right, well. That was uh we'll make and, it five out of eight nights. Yeah. <laughs> and you know, it's that time of year as we've talked, um, acorns are starting to fall. Mm-hmm. And they're really and, starting and we to had fall a, now. We had a little bit of wind that day. It yeah. got up eight to ten miles an hour. And so I kinda I suspect as it's happened in years past, as if a deer is on a food plot pattern and season opens up, you better get on him quick or he's gonna yeah, start exactly. changing and going to acorns and I, I suspect that's what happened, but there's a lot of good white oaks in that area, and I and I uh, my gut tells me he's still right there. So who knows what'll happen? But we're gonna keep grinding. But that's my update. Well, that's what happened for us. So and I think you know a couple things. It was really warm opening day. I mean it it was that was the hottest day of the week. Yeah, and um, just that delayed movement when when Trace shot, it was kind of like someone had just opened up the can and let these deer out because when he shot it was just ruckus all around us we couldn't see but six or seven deer right there when he shot but there was a lot more and it was like just that that window that time frame if you sat in the blind you know or, or, or stand all of a sudden the deer just boom they're there and they're on top of you it was just that time mm-hmm. and they all decided boom we're gonna move and it, we could, we could, you know, it could have been a couple degrees hotter and not had that wind, and they wouldn't show it up till after dark. And, and see, you, while you guys were in the blind, you said that you had it was windy, like it you, was windy. Yeah, it wasn't for Chad and I. It was really? we were kind of down in a hole, and it just wasn't blowing very much because, mm-hmm. of course, we were in that blind. It was ninety-two degrees that day. <laughs> yeah. It was like, please breeze. I need some yeah, air. Kick up, please. I, I always think whenever I'm in a blind during early season, I always think of that Ace Ventura. Uh, when nature calls, I think mm-hmm. is the name of it, and he's inside that rhino, um, in that robot rhino, and yeah. he goes, "It's pretty hot yeah. inside these rhinos." <laughs> <laughs> That's what I kind of felt like. It was like, "Whoo, can we get a fan?" Yeah, but it's anyway. a convection oven. So. Um, that's pretty much our update for the first two days of season. Um, we'll kind of go into now, you know, second day of season. It's been dry here. So now, our heart and prayers go out days. to the people that have been affected by the hurricane and getting 
40 plus inches of rain and are flooding in Florida and Louisiana and Texas. Texas. It's been Georgia. devastating down there. Yeah. But here in the Midwest, we've just been, and then we, the complete 180 of that is it's been devastating out West with the wildfires. Mm-hmm. And here in Polar the Midwest, opposites. we're, I mean, we could burn right now. Oh, Easy. Yeah. Um, well, we say that we could have actually, um, we were, we were forecasted to have, and I, I hate to vent on this, but man, it drives me nuts when a weather every, Everyone's be like, I know, I know. I yeah. hate it too. Um, when the forecast says 80% on today, Sunday, and 80% on Monday, and a 60 on Tuesday, and a 40 on Wednesday, and a 60 on Thursday, and another 50 on Friday, and then Saturday's 60, and you're like, okay, we're going to get rain. It's going to happen. I'm feeling and good. And then we broadcasted seed. We'll cover kind of our reason for that here in a second. But we broadcasted seed, and we woke up to 30% chance of rain and a 40% chance of rain, and then 20s the rest of the week. It's just frustrating. Yeah. And it makes you wonder, doggone it, if they think they can figure out how warm our, our planet's going to be in 50 years, they can't <laughs> even figure out what the weather's going to be next yeah, week. No kidding. So, no anyway. Kidding. Oh, don't even get me started on that. But it is raining. It right is now. raining right now. Now it's just sprinkling at the farm. Yeah. But our lease in Kansas got over an inch and a half, and we had, we've we've hunted it two years now with no food plots other than the residual crops and mm-hmm. cover crops that the farmers planted. We actually planted some food plots, and got some rain when we planted, and then I think they've had a couple of showers yeah. since. That the kind of timely stuff, keep, yeah. kind of keeping it viable, keeping it going alive. Yeah, and then they got over an inch and a half last night. So, Whew. yeah, we're super pumped about that. Can't wait to get back out there and see what's going on there. Mm-hmm. Um, but you may think we're crazy planting. I don't know. Uh, we get this a lot. Is it too late for food plots? Is it too late for food plots? You know, I thought July and August was when you planted your fall food plots. But keep in mind. Um, there's a lot of farmers out there that don't abide by the same theories that we do. And they plant a lot of wheat and different cover crops later in the fall and still have great results. And when, but and for I some think reason, when, hunters are stuck in this bubble of, okay, as soon as deer season opens up, I can't plant anymore. It, they're not, right. It's not going to develop, and, and I don't want to mess up anything. But we're complete other side of that. And and the thing is, you know, I I don't look at a food plot and say it has to be a foot and a half tall and and just as lush and beautiful. I think we get so caught up in like the aesthetics of what it has to look like or should look like. Yeah. Granted, I want, if I can plant in August and I, I know I'm going to get good rain, then I'm going to plant then I want more time for it to grow and, and produce more tonnage. But if not, then I know, okay, I still got some time. And what I do throw out, it's going to be a whole lot better they're not doing anything at all. And right now, you know, we're saying typically middle of October. And really, we've seen it into and late, November. No, late October, early November when we get that real good frost. I remember we've one year month, we didn't get a easy. frost until mid to late November. That's ridiculous. And so it was like, huh. Growing, growing, growing. Can, yeah. And, and, and actually that year it was almost borderline our plots have grown too long like i don't mm-hmm. want the wheat to go to maturing. a stem yeah and uh, i don't want turnips get to m- so monstrous yeah. and so but this year who knows what'll, what what will happen um but it 
we have food plots established. We planted food plots three weeks ago, and we have not had hardly a drop of rain since. And the best-looking food plot we have, we have either triticale, wheat, oats, any of our cereal grains, probably three to four inches tall, brassicas one or two inches tall, and some winter peas is probably doing the mm-hmm. best, and it's four inches tall. The, but a majority of the stuff is just laying there. And we're not really seeing much germination. Seed's still there. It just hasn't germinated. And so we're kind of questioning, and we looked at a couple of plots, and it, certainly the edges aren't doing very well. So we went back, and we replanted some areas last yeah, night. Yeah. And we actually planted a new area that I'm very excited about. Oh, yeah. And that kind of goes against... Yeah, how many Basically, how many there's a lot like conventional and unconventional planting planting seasons or yes. planting time frames and you know I, I i'm kind of an unconventional guy i just don't want to limit myself and say well it's too late it can't kinda? be done are we kind of <laughs> listen okay. just go listen to our podcast yeah i know we're i guess we need to go very unconventional that. guys yeah that's um true. and and so we're planning and we will be planting you know wheat and cereal rye. Cereal rye does really well in cooler temperatures. And I know guys that are ag side of things that plant cereal rye up into November and even Easy. have planted it in December. You get a couple warm days and some rain and it germinates and then it keeps it gets growing. established quick. And real quick. <laughs> so don't be thinking that since deer season has started that you can't, oh, you've got a food plot that looks bad. Uh, oh, that's unfortunate. I wish I'd have got... Just go grab some other seed and plant it. Mm-hmm. Broadcast it right before the rain and let and see what happens. And keep in mind, if you have a plot that's planted three weeks ago and it's six inches tall, and then you plant something the next week, now you have something that's younger, more tender, more palatable, and you can just get this whole cycle of having more young growth, a more preferred food source... Hey throughout the fall you have different stages in your own food plot mm-hmm. so there's there's techniques there's strategies there's pros and cons about it for sure but planting season is not over the window has not closed and uh, we're taking advantage of this rain we did last night and it's raining the radar right now shows that it's gonna get there with fingers are still crossed we're not we're not gonna say no. it's gonna I'll happen believe until it when i see it yeah until we check the rain gauge but hey we don't know unless we give it a shot. Yep. So. It's always a gamble when planting. Oh, yeah. And the one place I'm very excited about is we went and broadcasted in that standing corn. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you've talked about out east. A lot of people are doing cover crops now, and they're doing aerials spreading. Aerial seeding, yeah. And, and seeding and flying helicopters or planes over yep. and dropping the seed down. We had to go a little more unconventional that and uh bag spreader and walking through rows of corn and getting cut up and <laughs> chewed up and, and oh cut, yeah getting strangled by the morning glories that were yeah. in there head high um and we actually broadcast it in standing corn we'll see what happens hopefully this rain hits it and it germinates and um we'll have a nice green plot underneath the corn probably acre acre and a half yeah within the standing corn and then it's going to get picked um in the coming weeks and then we'll have some hopefully awesome growth within that corn and a very, very huntable place that's going to stand out around, among the rest of the cornfield that will eventually have some wheat, wheat drilled into it. Again, yep. that's that's we're not talking about drilling wheat within the next two days. We're talking about a couple of weeks after that corn mm-hmm. is picked. So 
And that's happened for, for multiple years, and you're still getting a um, decent amount of, of growth out of that wheat. Yep. It grows. During the fall time. During the fall, it's, it's five, And it's a six huge inches. resource for if deer the in the turkeys area. don't eat all the seed stuff, <laughs> yeah. that might as well just be a turkey barnyard. Oh my gosh, it's ridiculous. Um, but they're there almost all day, every day, it seems like. But um, And then in the spring, we get a huge boost, and we turn the cows on there. and graze it down a little bit, and then he plants again. Mm -hmm. Um, This year is going to be a little different, but um, that's a whole other podcast. So anyway, don't be be scared to get out and plant right now even, Yep. Um, or in the coming weeks if rain's coming. But now, the big part of our podcast this week, um, we've had a lot of great feedback, and this was kind of an experimental process, but... um, Actually, one week we really didn't have a whole lot to talk about. We were like, well, let's just break down that last property we were oh, on. Yeah. There's a lot of yeah. great tips. And people really liked it. So we're really going to break down it. another property that's actually in Kansas. Um, a beautiful... I, I love Kansas. Mm-hmm. I love hunting Kansas. Don't think I could ever live there um, just because it could. is so open. I love the uh, I love the Ozark Mountains and the, the just the hills and hollers and trees. But Kansas is always a pleasure to see i love the prairie i love the whole ecosystem i love the giant deer that grow out there and the gobs of turkeys and the gobs of turkeys gobs of quail and this property actually set out more it's in the eastern part of the state but kind of more in the central part it's right on that western boundary of the east central kind of line if you were to yes. divide it and it's a it's a unique property 317 acres, I yeah, believe. Yeah. And it's it's one of those properties, as with a lot of the properties um, that we visit, and a lot of guys, a lot of listeners, it's a multi-use property. He has cows on a portion of it that he leases out the rights. Another guy runs his cows in there. Then he also has a portion that gets cropped. And then another portion is cut... It's a crop, it's leased, but it's actually just cut for hay. And so the whole property, he owns it, but he's got several different ways of bringing in income. He leases out. And that that has to be done for this landowner um, to basically offset costs on that place. Now, it's a great, it's it's a unique property, but it can be, it already is pretty good, but it can be awesome. Um, just by making a few tweaks. And, and, and hopefully I, these yeah. tweaks can help you brainstorm on your property. Um, and we're going to we're gonna put up a map of it so you can yeah. kind of see, you know, maybe a before and after of what it is right now versus what, um, what's, what we've basically outlined. And, you know, that's important. So that as you know, we're talking about, you can see why we made those decisions and changes and then why we had to work around this specific area. And, um, you know, again, every property has those challenges, but it's about weighing out the the pros and cons of each feature, and you know, then and when you say pros and cons, not only are we looking at the pros and cons for the landowner, but if we're trying to, we need some way to keep the leaser, the yeah, the guy that's the leasing, farmer. the leasee, to come back to make it worth his while, and so we're trying to find the wins not only for the landowner and the hunter but also the guy that's leasing it. Right. And, and so we'll walk you through some of the stuff um, in a second. But So so obviously the, the landowner is a wildlife-minded guy. He wants that property to be 
perfect for hunting. He wants it to be a wildlife farm where he can go, have successful hunts, enjoy being outdoors. Um, he want, he'd, he'd love to see quail numbers get increased. There's quail on it right now. We'll talk about that a little bit more. But he also knows that, okay, I still have to make an income, have to keep my, my farmer happy. And the farmer, I think it's, it's important to, to mention, you know, the, even, even this is a dynamic that we're considering when, when discussing things on a property. The same farmer has the cattle. He leases that out. He leases the crop ground and he, le- he leases the, the parts that get hayed. And, you know, that's a dynamic that we're talking and, and basically trying to find the win-win between the landowner and the farmer. Because, again, like Adam just mentioned, we got to keep that farmer happy because he's going to play an integral part of managing that farm. But the but the landowner himself has to be happy with what he's seen and the growth and the changes and the he's hunting He's got the final vote. He does. He does. He can say, okay, well, if you're not going to do this, then, you know, honestly, I can find someone else who will. And But we have to be able to present that in a manner um, to any farmer, possibly the next farmer who may come in, um, that, you know, hey, I'm willing to work with you, but I need you to know that these are my objectives and my goals, and here's what I can offer you. Um, and that's that. So that's an important dynamic to really consider. Um, and having the background of, you know, you being ag, me coming from a, a farming family is like, okay, is this even feasible? Is someone honestly going to take, take them up on this? Um, that's important to, to know, you know, if, if that farmer is what he's going to pay is going to be worth his time. Um, so what else we got? Now that's pretty much a breakdown. So you know that it has crops, it has cows, it has open pastures or hay pastures, so they're getting cut for hay. But this also has what, as the landowner told us, it used to have a creek that ran through it year-round. North-south, right smack dab in the middle. It's a great travel corridor. And the property just north actually put in a watershed lake. And so pretty much any water that was running through that creek is now pumping into the lake just off the property. So it's not as big of a creek now. Still has some water holes in it. There's Since it has cows on it, you know that there's certain water, there's ponds. There's actually a couple big lakes. A couple nice ones. The landowner's uh, grandpa yeah. put these big lakes in there and, and had a lot of fishing going on. So there's lots of water on there. Water's not a problem on this place. But... Um, the biggest problem, as you would guess, the biggest issue, one of the biggest issues, is the fact that we have a great travel corridor. Now we have pasture land where the cows are. Then we also have crop ground. So when you think that, okay, cows, probably not great cover. Now what else? Oh, there's crops, so they're going to get harvested in the fall. That's going to be barren <laughs> wasteland, basically. And they're farming from drain ditch line to ditch line or drain to drain there's very little edge and um, so cover is is what we're lacking factor um but there is in right in the central portion right along the creek there's a good area uh, probably all said and done less than 100 acres though mm-hmm. that is the main travel corridor of the property and that cover is actually where the landowner was spending a lot of his time or was parking and walking to get to his stand. And there's an old house that kind of sits dead center of the property. Yes, it's dead center. So the hunter could, the landowner could park, 
drive in or actually drive into the central part, get off the road, park next to the house, and then from there go to a stands. Unfortunately, that's where all the cover sets. And as we every property we tour, we need to find ways that we can add security, add a sanctuary. Because and there's so many places out there, so many places. And honestly, we see it during the fall time, even on great properties that have excellent habitat, that they don't hunt good because they aren't. They aren't. Those areas are not treated as a sanctuary, or they're not secure areas, and deer avoid them. Even though the habitat is is adequate, it's good, there's a better area. I mean, a deer would rather survive than be in a, you know, five-acre place that's got the right cover. Like, if, if he can go down into a holler that's just open hardwoods and know he's not going to die, he's going to go there. I think an old field, like, that to me is like, oh, that just looks... Bucky, as oh, they yeah. say. Yeah. Oh, that looks bucky. It's got plum thickets. It's got native mm-hmm. grasses. It's got forbs. It's got everything. Blackberry patches everywhere. It's got, got yeah, brambles. Yeah. It's got. It's just. It's it's nasty, but not nasty overhead high nasty. It's right. like right in a deer range nasty. Mm-hmm. It's bucky. Yep. But if you have that five acre field that's bucky, but you're still walking through it, you don't have anything. Or there's an ATV p- trail just cut right through. And it's like, well, cool 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 because that could be a great area but right now it's you might as well just consider it um it, they might they might show up on camera there at nighttime when they know you there you're not going to be there but right now because you drive through it occasionally they're not going to be there and present during the during the daytime and you have to treat you have to treat basically you have to marry the two of great cover and security into one to make an a a perfect bedding area it would just be for example if there was this big beautiful i like i guess i don't like big huge houses i like nice houses but if it's kind of a rustic house it's a almost cabin feel mm-hmm. it's like my dream home right i would i would so want to live there but if i go in there and i'm starting to hear voices and noises <laughs> and strange and i don't feel safe I'm not staying there. Same way with the deer. Even though you have everything in place, if they don't feel safe, they're not going to stay there. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that's exactly what can happen in these areas. You're like, oh, that looks great. Even if the neighbor's dogs are running through it. That's what we dealt with uh, several years ago on the family farm. We had some neighbors that had a huge pack of dogs that just ran all over. And they pretty much had the deer on full alert year round. Yep. So for this guy to improve the habitat, one of the biggest things he's going to do is Turn his what is cover now into sanctuary. And he's gonna have to completely rearrange his hunting approach. His hunting strategy. Because he had he had multiple stands that would his entry and exit would walk right through that best cover. And you know, occasionally he'd he'd jump some deer out of there, you know, and there's always gonna be some that that stop, especially in a transition area like his property in Kansas, there's got stop and rest, or you know, they might be there um you know, off and on, but because he, he was walking in and out, it was not the area, despite the good habitat, it was not the area that it could be. So, right, first need to address, we got to rearrange the way this, this property is set up and add the feature of security to that center portion. If you were to try to picture this in a podcast, that's what one thing that is, is a little more difficult is trying to make visual references. He has basically gone from, Let's t- 
take a wagon wheel and you've got the outside ring and you've got the you've got the axle and you've got the spokes. He's driving into the uh-huh. axle yeah. and then going out the spokes to hunt. He needs to now drive around the edge from the outside wheel, the ring, mm-hmm. and go in on the spokes and leave the axle as the sanctuary and the security on that property. Great imagery, Adam. I'm, nice. I'm on a roll today. You got it. The house. Yeah. The spooky voices. Yeah. The wagon wheel. Wow. Man. Yeah, it's amazing what your doing Wheaties. a podcast in the middle of the day versus <laughs> 1130 at night. Yeah. Uh, and so just that's the whole concept. Instead of entering from the inside and going out, he's going to enter from the outside and go in. That's that. You've probably heard us talk about, you know, just kind of stepping in. And if you're out there on those boundaries and you step in, you have deer from the center of your property working towards you. And then you're out of there and you're, you don't ever have to go back in into where they were, where they're coming from. The entry and exit is just on point. And then you're providing the security on your farm day in and day out so that you know the next time you come back and hunt, hey, perfect. I'm going to likely experience a similar hunt to what I did last time because I haven't gone into that that hub, that central portion. So that place runs right in along that um, travel corridor, that creek system that is on the property. And from that, he's going to have so many more daylight encounters by just rearranging his hunting strategy in the center portion of that farm and honestly it might stink his cameras if he leaves a couple in there on the fringes of that the really good bedding area they're probably going to be light light they're going to get lit up all fall bucks are going to travel in you know how kansas is matt you can be hunting to these areas and just boom hold up you yes and you can be sitting on a property and feel like you know every deer that comes through there and all of a sudden a giant steps and out you're and you're like, like where did he come from and the well heck? they have a huge range out there and, and this and he could be what we want him to do instead of being a travel corridor property where deer are just passing through we want now want deer to a buck to find a receptive doe and push her into his sanctuary and hold up because that's the best cover mm-hmm. in the neighborhood and i and i think he's certainly good experience you know now that he's providing security a lot more deer just using that as their just i would say in a figurative way a permanent residence yeah you know they feel safe they feel safe you know before they have water years prior they weren't safe there in that area so you know they'd pass through during the nighttime he got pictures of deer found a couple sheds um but just his hunting observations told him that okay deer are traveling from off the property onto this property and that honestly right now without doing a touch of habitat work is changed because he's going to change his hunting approach on that farm mm-hmm. the habitat is there it they have everything they need yeah now let's describe just because i love the habitat out there as i said earlier i love the ecosystem that sanctuary is mm-hmm. jam-packed with big blue big blue stem little blue stem indian, indian grass, grass it everywhere. has some eastern gamma grass in it yep so it's got a lot of the great. Had a lot it, of it golden has some rod, switchgrass in it. Yes, not only grass. are the great grasses there, but it's got a ton of forbs. Golden. Mm-hmm. It's got goldenrod. It's got Illinois bundle flower, yep. which we don't see very much of at all around. And it had partridge pea. Yeah, everywhere. It had sunflowers. Ragweed. Tons of ragweed, both common and giant. Um, it had blackberries. It had. Just an amazing amount of, well, the prairie ecosystem. Mm-hmm. 
There was it had all the kinds diversity. of diversity. It had it. And then not only did it have all that, but it also had plum thickets. Yes. And sumac groves. And it yeah. had all these younger trees, these shrubby type trees and bushes involved in it as well that are just, they're all part of the ecosystem that make it so fantastic. And, and he, even in that one area, and this was the, the northwest corner, he had that tiny little drain that cut in there. That was a lot of scrubby stuff, um, even a couple scrub oaks in there um, that were young. But just all that packed in, all that diversity of species at the appropriate height and, and cover, mm-hmm. boy, it's going to be excellent. Mm-hmm. It's going to be a game changer for him and, and his sons as they hunt the property. Just knowing that, okay, deer will come from there. I'm going to be over here. They're going to come to me now instead yep. of me busting them out. Yep. It, it's going to be awesome. Yes. It'll be it'll be a fantastic place to be. Most importantly, that didn't cost him a dime. No. That's what that's what we like. That's that what didn't we cost like. a dime. Just by identifying the features of the property, understanding how he was using it prior, and making the suggestion of, okay, yep, I got you now. I've been boogering this up. I need to change it. Mm-hmm. And... um. The habitat was there. It was in place. That's not the occasion on, on every single property by far, but just identifying it, knowing, okay, this can be better if we just stay out. And and that's for that area. That's, that's the prescription. Mm-hmm. All right. So we pretty much talked about the hunting strategy and let's talk a little bit about now, as we mentioned, the landowner, he doesn't plant food plots yet. He yep. doesn't do a lot of the work on, a on the very place. Very small scale. He, he he he. The farmer, his his guy that's leasing, does a lot of the main. He impacts the farm the most as far as financially is. He's planting crops. He's cutting hay. He's running cows. The landowner now, though, can tweak a few things to make his hunting spots. A little bit better. Oh, absolutely. And so we've rearranged his his stands. We've rearranged his ways of getting into these stands. But now how can we make this travel corridor type place or now that it's no longer hopefully gonna be a travel corridor, it's got a it's got a heart in the center now that is the the heartbeat of the property. That's where the deer wanna be. Mm-hmm. How can we lure them out of those of that dense cover, that sanctuary to his, by his stance. And then you start looking, okay, what is offered for food during hunting season? What's the mo- what can be the most preferred food source? And it's it, probably going to be a food plot. If he's got turnips, radishes, wheat, that's going to be a huge attraction that he can have. And so not only is he going to have his stand set up in an already existing travel corridor, but now he can increase the chances of having a deer come through there by adding a food plot. And when we say a food plot, we're talking less than a half acre food plot. Yep. A little bitty kill plot, but it's going to have enough attraction, enough pull to encourage deer to cut through it. And these are areas, a couple of them are areas that are getting planted with crops. Oh, absolutely. You got to utilize that. But... As anybody who's ever spent any time around a crop field, especially an end that's close to timber, 
a lot of times those aren't as productive. Those got, areas they're com- they're competing with trees too much, and you see and, a lot of and deer <laughs> and deer. Yeah, a lot of browse pressure. A lot of browse pressure on the. That's edges. where the deer come out. First thing they eat. They're close to cover, so they hang out there more. And not only that, but the trees are competing with moisture for moisture and nutrients, and so the plants just don't do as well. So all this landowner is going to have to do, as we encourage them, is to buy a fall food plot mix or just go buy some seed, mix it himself, and broadcast it right before rain in those little areas. And just by doing that, he's going to have now a food plot if he gets the rain, and he's going to have a great kill plot right in front of his stand that really didn't cost him very much at all. Half acre of seed. Oh, I'm going to say twenty bucks at the tops. Less than twenty bucks. Right. Yeah. And and he basically okay. So imagine the crop field, right? And it was typically harvested late September, early October. After that, there was not a need for deer to come out there. Yeah, they'd go and get some spilled grain occasionally, but that was throughout the entire field. He had had just been hunting a, a decent path trail that came out to the woods. Now we're giving them a reason to continue throughout the entire season to come back. And because of the browse pressure, because of the the areas that are competing for moisture along the edge of the timber, you know, he's going to have a great chance of producing a great food plot if he times it right and plants it and throughout from September 11th is when Kansas comes in to sometime in January, early January, there's going to be forage available in that specific half acre spot. That's within bow range for this gentleman to take advantage of the deer that come out. And then from there, go out and find all the spilled grain in the field. It's not about having, you know, all his crop ground planted. It's about having the ripe crop ground planted and attracting deer to those locations throughout the entire season and another thing if you're sitting there going okay well if the beans didn't grow there why would anything else grow there the trees are taking moisture we'll just add that during the fall and winter the trees aren't taken in they're they're nearly as much and so you don't have to worry about as much competition because of uh, as much competition with those trees during the dormant season of for those trees so that's why you're going to have great crops there bingo Great just, point. Just thought I would throw that out there. Yeah. Another way we can improve these little kill plots or these little areas is by adding, let's just go ahead and add our mineral station there during the growing season and get those deer. Now, they may not be using it during hunting season, but sure. let's just say a deer's ran down and he's like, oh, I'd sure. Let me he, go. I, I need to go that lick thing. that mineral block or whatever. Yeah. It's <laughs> already in an area by a tree stand. Yep. Now, keep in mind, if your state doesn't allow that, don't do it. But... Kansas is is legal. 100% legal. And so he can put out a mineral right there on the trail, right next to the trail, before they dump out into his little kill plot. And now we have two attractions in that same spot. But wait, we're not done. It feels like an infomercial. But wait, yeah. we're not there's, done. There's, but there's wait, more. there's more. <laughs> so now, be, because of the edge, you know, and deer are be coming out of here on a routine basis, this is a perfect place to be able to create some scrapes that may not be opened, you know, at the time that we visited, but just open them up, make this more of a communication point for the deer to come and check out. And of course, within bow range along the heavy used trail. But if a, if a deer, if the wind changed a little bit and he, he decides, okay, I'm gonna go and, and take a trail 20 yards, um, 
beyond the the best trail well what a feat the feature that the scrape you know provides is that now i'm gonna go with the wind check that that scrape i know it's safe whatever check it and the deer comes back into range even though it took a trail that didn't lead past the stand it comes out <laughs> smells comes back to the scrape good whack dead and, yeah. and and if that scrape hadn't been opened up or promoted earlier on the deer may not have have used that limb this year so a lot of times they'll come back to the same limb but go ahead and open up a scrape get him going there and that's that's it takes two minutes and it's again free so you're at so you're asking what what do we do to make a mock scrape here 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 it goes if there's not a tree there just go cut an oak tree down tie it to a t-post drive the t-post in actually drive a t-post in then tie the tree to it yeah and rake out and get some fresh dirt i don't know what it is about fresh dirt but deer are curious animals i think they smell that they come oh, investigate sure. they're curious and so we clear it out make it look make it look like a scrape and then we'll pee in it ourselves. yeah dump, that's free dump that plenty of times and there you go now you've got a mock scrape started but if you want to make that even more of a attraction go 50 yards past the stand any limbs that look like a scrape limb cut them down yep make make all those other scrapes that were along that edge, remove them and make your scrape or your scrapes right there in your area. It's just like taking out the competition. Yeah. That's make easy. Them, make them come to you within now, range every now time I'm they enter, of, that, enter that field. And I'm thinking of one other thing we can do. Mm-hmm. I think of one stand that's close to the cattle, yeah. and there's a barbed wire fence they have to cross. It's a five-strand barbed wire fence. It's chest high. Deer are lazy like us. So if we can improve it and make it easier for them to cross that fence, let's do it. Let's tie the top two wires together, lower it down. And it's lowering it by six inches. No yeah. cows getting out. It ain't no biggie. And especially on this place, and we'll get into this in a little bit, but the cows get removed October 15th, plus or minus a couple days on this farm, just because it's a submarine pasture. Anyhow... Even in our even in our neck of the woods, we, we do, do that all the time. All the time, <laughs> all the time. Yeah. and it it quickly becomes. You don't believe us? Put a daggum trail camera there and yeah. watch them use it. Yep. Watch them just go to that spot. It's easy. It's six inches, and um, it's no longer a high jump. It's just a, a leap, if you will, mm-hmm. right over top of it. And they are going to use it. And that's it. I, I that that. We have taken a spot that was already kind of a travel corridor, and now we've added a food plot. Deer used it. Deer used it. Right. But, but it, they used the whole, let's the whole, say there's 200 right. yard stretch. They were crossing numerous places all down through that 200 yards. But now we've taken away the scrapes, so now we've confined them to a 40 acre area. Certainly encouraged were, them to a 48, 40, not acre, 40, 40 yard, yard right, area to be come into the plot with cheap. Food plot, scrape, cheap mock scrape, cheap mock scrape, um, more just barbed wire, lowering that down, and cutting and removing the other branches, and adding mineral, and adding the mineral, and and now we've taken and we've given them pretty much. The next thing you do if you're a man who wants to make everything is you could bring in a backhoe and make a little low water hole right there if you <laughs> yeah. wanted to. I mean, if you're going to be a bear, we might as well be a grizzly. Yeah, and but that's one other thing you could do. We're not. That's kind of a extreme because we always consider ourselves to be managing on a budget. So that's something that that landowner can do in every one of his spots. 
almost every one of his spots, mm-hmm. unless it's a travel corridor and whatever. Maybe right. there's not a flat gra- piece of flat ground to plant a food plot, but he can do that in every one of his spots and, and make them good. He can take and make a good spot a great spot. And we're all about making great spots. Making stuff great again, aren't we, Matt? <laughs> yeah, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> so oh boy. that breaks down the hunting, each spot. That's pretty much what we prescribed almost every one of those locations. Yeah. Um, and, and one key factor and is... That's because... That's not, again, that's not every single stand location that we do in our place, but his property set up to enhance each stand like that. So we're going to put a lot of those resources in one area, and that's just encouraging for deer. Mm-hmm. There's, again, oh my gosh, I can't tell you how many stands we have just in the timber along the right travel corridors. Now, okay, we might hinge a couple of trees and make them come this way. But that that's it. It's not like we plant a plot and we're hunting over a plot yeah. every single no. every single sit. No, but because um, that gets that would get expensive. Now oh, twenty yeah. bucks for every plot, and you add that up, <laughs> yeah. it's like wow, that's a lot of money for the yeah. seed. So this guy is, um, and even we didn't mention it, but sometimes he'll we prescribe some of the spots will be radishes, rape, wheat, whatever. Some of the others we prescribe to have clover. Oh yeah. And that's just because those are in areas that the it's not the edge of a crop field, and it's not areas that the farmer is going to be planting. So he can put the clover in there. It's more of a, peren- a perennial clover, so he doesn't have to plant it every single year. Maybe he just goes and mows it once or twice during the summer months, and he's got a food source year around there. Yep, yep. And let, let's talk now that we kind of mentioned the crops. Um, talk about that relationship with with the hunting. Um, in the aspect of, you know, there's always the option in, in a contract with the farmer to write in, hey, these are some areas that I really want some standing grain left. Mm-hmm. And leave, leave me an acre corn. Leave me an right. acre standing beans. And that's, sometimes we always, we always ask try. or suggest that. Right. Just because, okay, a farmer has got all the equipment. He's got the inputs into fertilizing the entire crop or you know managing the weeds whatever it may be and he's done that and if you can pay you save you save a bunch of your time and um, if you don't have the equipment it's a perfect option just to pay him to leave you know a portion of the crop standing in these preferred locations or even for him and 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 doing it in as a basically a destination plot so that it, it entices deer to use his kill plots even even more, especially like late season. If you got standing grain, oh my gosh, they're gonna go to it. And if he's got that in the center of his farm, or in this you know in the surrounding areas of these these kill plots, buddy, they're gonna be using those kill plots to get to that destination food source. So even if he's not hunting over it, you know, as much as he is these kill plots, you gotta know that the location of that in the middle of a field. Is going to only make your kill plots that that much better, mm-hmm. and just just utilizing the fact of okay that that farmer, he's he's yield minded. He wants the best in his area in in his fields. So honestly, my equipment not going to do as much. I'm just going to pay him. Yep. And a couple uh, of acres, one other thing. Sometimes there are there are government contracts to where they'll leave ten percent of the crops. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but. Oftentimes, I've seen it where the farmer who 
bless his heart, is not wildlife minded. So he leaves a few strips in the middle of the field and you're like, come on, how am I supposed to hunt that? <laughs> yeah. So you kind of want to work with your farmer if, if you are thinking about this and talking to your NRCS agent, soil and water, MDC, DNR, whoever it is, to find out if that's something you could qualify for to leave 10% of the crops. You kind of want to f- make sure that's on the edge because 10% of the, let's say you left 10% in the middle of the field, that's not doing any good for the pheasants, the quail. That's where I yeah. see a lot of those contracts um, being used yeah and it certainly it's not being that great for deer unless it's at night so if you can get that assigned to 10 percent on the edge of the field where you can hunt it and deer and other wildlife can be in and out of cover to get to that food Quickly. source that'll be a lot better yep um another thing is oftentimes i'll see them leave the 10 percent that's right up under the tree under the drip line or whatever and it's really it not got ears anyway so it's it like it doesn't have ears you have corn pods. Yeah. you have corn and it's just a stalk <laughs> Ooh, look at the stalk yeah, yeah we got a stalk we got a little bit of a screen that's it so work with your farmer and make sure you get if you do pay him he he treats you fairly and you're gonna pay that you're actually getting something that's worth buying sure so That's another thing he could do. Another possibility with these crops is work with the farmer. There's some also some places where you can help offset costs by doing cover crops. So let's say it's a five or a fifty acre bean field or a fifty acre cornfield, and you plant cover crops, wheat, turnips, whatever it is. Now you have fifty acres of a food plot. That's another fall food plot. And not only is it beneficial to you, but it's highly beneficial to the farmer it's an extremely big attraction it's, 50 acres is a heck of a lot of food he's conserving soil health yep he's fighting erosion mm-hmm. fighting back weeds he probably won't have to put on as much fertilizer in the future it's just huge benefits that's a well that's the long long list that's a whole nother podcast talking about the benefits of cover crop on the soil but um, actually we've talked about it a lot of past podcasts so if you haven't heard it go check it out and so that's we're getting benefit for the landowner because he's got a huge area that's crops and a highly preferred food source. But now we're also benefiting the farmer. That's what we talked about early on. That's what we're trying to find. Now, if the farmer's on board with cover crop costs or not, that's another thing. But that's a suggestion that we can make. Maybe send him some articles, give him some magazines, give him some YouTube some links education, where yeah. he can start educating himself. Oh, Maybe I should try some cover crops. Mm-hmm. I'll try it. All right. You know what, Mr. Landowner? I'll try it in that backfield, or I'll try it in one of the fields. And then you say, how about you try it in this field? Because that's the field where it's hidden from the road. Yep. You can access it and hunt it and not alert the deer. That's another, that that would be the approach we would use in that. Yep. I think that, that covers crops. possibilities with crops really well. Um, and, and I guess one other crop that he has in, in a way is, you know, the smooth brome hay, hay, the hay pastures where the guy is cutting hay multiple times a year, two to three times, and he's just bailing it up and hauling it off. Now we've talked about smooth brome actually in the last podcast in, in relation to this, to this property, um, but just not as in depth, but it is a, it's very similar to a fescue or and, bahia grass. Yeah, it it's is the a, fescue or bahia of the north. Well, yeah, you see yeah. it a lot. It's it, if you don't know what smooth brome is, it's a lot of 
It's in Kansas, Nebraska, Iowa, North kind of Missouri. very fertile so- soils. Iowa, I said Iowa, uh, Minnesota, the Dakotas, but it's a lot like fescue, as Matt was saying. It's a turf grass. It's um, a cool season, and it grows just like a mat. Yep. And it just it inhibits the native forage, and it's it's a non-native. Um, but for this instance on the property, it is used just for hay. It is like Adam said, cut and baled multiple times a year. But you know, there's a couple good portions of this property that are devoted strictly to smooth brome hay ground. And for our instance, and for the landowner's benefit, really that has zero impact on the property as as it stands right now. Those acres f- devoted to smooth brome. The farmer is- benefits because he gets hay. The landowner benefits because he gets paid for that lease, but that's it. There's, but it, it, there's no wildlife attraction. There's no the, benefit the to the wildlife landowner. Exactly. It's it's a sheet of it's let's say it's a 50 acres that's devoted to this. It's 50 acres of concrete. Yes. And so now, okay, what benefit does the farmer, the leasee, get from that? He gets hay. He gets and quite a bit of hay. From, okay. From, based on the acreage devoted to that on this property. So how can we offset that? How can he get hay out of the same area, but now let's find something that's beneficial to the landowner and the, the wildlife. wildlife? Alfalfa! Yes. Alfalfa. If you couldn't understand Matt's gangster way of saying alfalfa. I was got excited. That's uh, what happens. Man. Is if we... And, and the farmer, uh, talking to the landowner... And he, what he's explained about the farmer is the farmer's actually wanted to plant some areas he's, in alfalfa in the he's past. He's brought it up in the past, right. And that door is open, and I don't know if it's closing, but we stuck our foot in there and yeah. made the suggestion that, hey, yes, let's really discuss that because the acres devoted to smooth brome aren't doing you a thing. And alfalfa, on top of all the other recommendations throughout the property, would completely turn this transition area, what was a transition area, into a dynamite, dynamite attractive place for wildlife. Because it's got cover, it's got a, a lot of food sources with the crops, with the alfalfa, with the kill plots. But man alive, it would really give this place a facelift to be able to turn a zero area into a extremely beneficial acreage and the and the farmer still he still gets the benefit of having actually probably gets better that's very better better hay i would almost guarantee that yeah he gets better hay out of it his cows would benefit better so um that to us that was like okay no brainer we got to find a way to eliminate this smooth brome grass with something else that and this goes with everything when it if if you're a 14 year old boy and you're like i need my uncle on his farm that lets me hunt i need to find a way the only way you're going to get to him is if you can give him an alternative that's just as beneficial as what he already has if you go in there and say hey can i have that 50 acres let's fence it off and i just want to plant food plots in there (laughs) he's going to say get lost you can't hunt here yeah anymore but if you say hey could we take that 50 acres fence it off and I can plant a food plot, but during a couple of times a year when it's not hunting season, you can send the cows in there and graze it, 
And that's a time of the year whenever the fescues turn dormant or um, your other, your native grass pasture is not as, it's in a dormant stage, so you're not getting as good of a food source. But you can graze this during that time of the year. And now you've given him a an option, a better option. There's a good chance he'll consider it and take you up on it. But you can't approach somebody and say, hey, I want to take this off the plate for you. That's you. You can. I've done it <laughs> <You've> <laughs> firsthand. Tried. I've tried. <laughs> a lot of times it doesn't go over very well, and there's usually some conflict um, and tension in there. But if you can find a way to every for everybody to get a win, the lease guy gets a win. The cattle farmer gets a win. You get a win as the landowner, or and your wildlife get a win. That's what we're shooting for. And and so that by Eliminating the smooth brome and bringing in the alfalfa win all the way around. All the way around. And that, that just makes the decision for that farmer to say, okay, yeah, no, no, I'll I'll work with you. I understand. I'd like alfalfa. Let's do it. And if he bucks. There's other alternatives. <laughs> there's another farmer down the road that said yeah. he'd love it's, to plant it's it in Kansas. alfalfa. There's another farmer. <laughs> yeah. And that's kind of the, you hate to be that way, but that's kind of the, the way we handle it is, Honestly, you have to go back and say, okay, and, and it's not being a jerk about it, but it's being, I own the land and I had the final say. We're mm-hmm. working on the landowner's behalf, but trying to appease both parties. Because again, that landowner, that landowner needed that income for the property. And we have to, we have, that's why we had to find the win-win. We can't just say, okay, farmer, you're gone, or you're going to do exactly what we say. Like it's a working relationship that has to be um, treated fairly for both sides. And that's what that's the that's the goals in working with with both parties and understanding each other's needs, wildlife versus income. And we have one one more one other, more thing: the cattle. The cattle is is a is a big portion. It's because, a whole third. I would say it's almost a third of the property. Yeah, it's a hundred acres. Easy. And right now it's 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 prairie basically. It's got a lot of native grasses and not a lot of native forbs. But the one, and it's got two main ponds on it. The one thing that this farmer does, as a lot of farmers, um, they have the the cows are allowed to have free reign of the entire 100 acres. Full access from when they get put in in mid-April to October 15th. They go wherever they want. There's water sources. They can always access. They don't go dry. Plenty of grass. There's some trees that they hang out a lot during the day. And... So that right there is a little bit of a, it's not a huge issue right now, but we would, there's always a better way to manage it. There's a better way. And so what we suggested in this hundred acres is instead of the farmer just allowing the cows to have free reign or whatever, even if we get him to move the cows, we section off in a paddocks of 30 acres or 20 acres or 10 acres to where the cows spend one week on this one paddock that's got it's got water, it's got grass, got everything it needs. It gets a little more obviously it gets grazed a little heavier than the full hundred acres does, but there's gonna be more trampling. There's gonna be more hoof action, there's gonna be more urine and more manure put on that ten acres. And then we move them off. This is now recreating the the what the buffalo did on the prairies years ago. They were on an area for a short time, and then they moved on. And that's what we want to try to recreate with these cows moving around on this 100-acre native grass pasture. Huge benefits. The, the pasture responds 
the native grasses because of because it's a natural process of that's the way things occurred the pasture will respond and produce more forage because it has the rest yeah so basically if if, if we broke up in the six paddocks then one week you graze it and then you get moved and then there's five more paddocks so really a cow's not going to graze that area for five more weeks it's going to get there five more weeks later and it's going to it have got all a, the time to rest. And it got a double shot of fertilizer in the form of manure and urine. Yeah. And then, and this whole, since there's already huge diversity there, there's already tons and tons of insects. But now we start recreating this with the, with the cows. We're bringing in more insects in the form of dung beetles and other stuff. And dung beetles are going to help infiltrate that manure down into the soil. So it's, we are basically doing... What was going on before we settled? In a productive manner that still produces income, doesn't inhibit anything, but in a modern setting with domesticated livestock. That makes sense? Yeah, makes sense to me. Yeah, That's just something we, we don't get to talk about a lot on the podcast. This is hunting and habitat, but we're hugely passionate about this approach and trying to recreate, as we say in, in a lot of the habitat stuff, work with mother nature not against her and this is the same thing with the cows instead of doing old techniques we're trying these new techniques but they're old ways it's a natural process that okay we have honestly we haven't learned from many many years of of, i'm not gonna say failures but just hardships because we haven't learned from the natural process and the way that ecosystem works that we've just said, oh, no, we'll just graze it throughout the entire year. No rest, nothing, whatever. It'll be fine. And, we're, and we're, we've seen some damaging effects of that. So let's actually learn from those and then, you know, tailor our management around the natural process. And that's all that is. And, and this pasture works great because the way you could split this field up in, into paddocks, there's access um, to those ponds from each one. So, you know, obviously every pack has to have water. And they do very easily. And the the farmer now, not sure how many times he comes out and checks on these cows, but say it is once a week. Okay, that doesn't change. Just during that once a week, you just got to open up the next pack and they're going to go in. Mm-hmm. Close it up. That's it. Done. Now, it benefits the farmer because he gets better forage because he's more ultimately having more production out of the yeah. grass. And... Now the that whole aspect leaves a whole five paddocks free to the wildlife mm-hmm. where they're not interfering with the cattle, even though I don't believe that that's a huge problem. No. But they get to benefit from the forbs that are growing out in those other paddocks. They may get to eat them rather than the cow during that time. Mm-hmm. And then they're just eating a very little portion, and then it has enough time to regrow in time for the cows to grow them on. And that's there's kind a, of the whole there's process. There's a symbiotic relationship between large herbivores in this ecosystem and wildlife the different wildlife you know species they're going to use different portions and work differently with let's say the the cattle the large herbivore than a quail would you know they all work and and do different things but you know having that that rotation set up allows that relationship to work more smoothly that's all it means 
And that that pretty much is the whole process. I think we're over an hour now. Dan's going to kick us off. We keep going on for <laughs> over <laughs> over a uh, an hour too far. So anyway, um, hopefully that that breakdown of the property in Kansas helps you on your place. Maybe you're not even in Kansas, but I'm sure I can assure you that um, there's a lot of techniques in there that you can use, even if you're down south or wherever te- you're at. A lot of techniques and and just the the understanding that okay, you know I've got to work with people. And every property has its challenges, has has its characteristics that make it so unique and utilize those to your benefit and work with people and you're a lot you're you're more apt to get what you want done or benefit both parties when you have that mindset as mm-hmm. you're going into management. Yeah. Totally. Uh relationships is a huge thing in in huge. all of life. And if you can if you're trying to show that you're wanting to work with that guy rather than against him, you're going to have huge gains. Huge gains. What is it, Matt? I always say people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Yep. And, and I'm my wife would kill me if she heard me say perspective one more time. But you got to have to take their perspective on what it is that they need and then, you know, find find the win-win. That's all it is. Find the win-win. Well, you All right. Ooh, next week Next week we are uh, we're probably planning on doing a whole podcast devoted to terrain, hunting and managing in terrain. We're gonna try and do probably one week, but it may have to spill over into two weeks. It's gonna, it's gonna be, be a, a pretty in depth yeah. podcast. I'm really excited about. You, as you know, we're terrain guys. We grew up in topography. We hunt a lot around topography, and there's a lot of things we've learned about hunting and deep saddles and shelves and. Huge ridges benches and ravines and, and benches and everything that goes on in terrain. And how to manage those to make your hunting so much easier. Yes. Oh, my gosh. I, I think that's I'm, – I'm not getting into it, but that's an underrated thing. Management and, and terrain elevation changes, you can lay out a property so easily – and make deer so stinking predictable, it's not even funny. So all the terrain guys, timber country guys, listen up. You guys have you're with me. You're our, you're our boys because you've sat and watched television shows where guys are flatlanders and they get to walk and drive their little buggies on prairies and on the flat grounds in Iowa. And you think, man, wouldn't that be nice? But here's what we're telling you: come back next week because we're going to teach you how to manage on those terrains or hunt that terrain country to where we're going to make those guys in flat country envious of what we have to offer. It's going to be good. Yes. So come back next week. But we thank you for joining us this week. Hopefully you're sharing this with your friends, your hunting buddies, and uh, we sure appreciate you. And we will catch you guys next week. Peace out. Thanks for listening to another episode of Land and Legacy's Hunting and Habitat Management Podcast. If you like what you hear, check us out at landandlegacy.tv. You can submit a viewer question right there, and we're answering on the podcast. Or find us on Facebook and Instagram. Feels pretty good knowing that from the beginning of time, God has called us to be a caretaker, a gamekeeper, a manager of the land. So with that being said, don't you think we should do it all for the love of the land and the glory to God? Thank you for listening to the Land and Legacy podcast. Be sure to check out the other podcasts on this RSS feed, the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast and the DIY Sportsman's podcast.